Lord God, we come here today and we pray that, Lord, your word would be open to us and that we in turn would be open to that word. If we come here with grief, if we come here with many tears, Lord, we, we pray you would bless us in your presence with that amazing hope that goes beyond hope in the gift of a life in Christ that never ends. We pray this in Jesus' powerful name. Amen. Amen. Do invite you to be seated. How many of you knew that there are different kinds of tears? And I'm not just saying this in terms of different circumstances, but that you actually have the capacity and ability as a human being to create different kinds of tears that are completely chemically different. Did you know this? For instance, hey, I'm glad you're here today. I'm going to teach you something. I didn't know this. Did you know that, for instance, if you have natural tears, you know, you've maybe seen the commercials for restasis, that if you have chronic dry eye, which is a bad thing because you actually need a, a natural source of, of ongoing tears to keep your eyes moist because actually the tears your body produces by nature um, have antibacterial properties to them that serve purpose. So you, you need that, not to mention your eyelids would stick to your eyes and you'd be walking around. That's not good, right? Um, that also is true that um, if you're chopping onions, that's an, another kind of tears that just protects your eyes in the midst of just that the toxicity that's coming into your, your eyes at that moment. But that is very different than another kind of tear. And, and this is fascinating to me. Um, I've heard it said, I have a good friend named uh, Ray, who's a counselor, and he has said this for years. He says, uh, you know, tears are the car wash for the soul. And I love that thought, because I, I hear this from a lot of people when they say, you know, if they're in the midst of grief, and maybe you're one of them. You've been in the midst of grief. And, and I hear this a lot. Say, I, I shouldn't cry so much. I cry way too much. And, and I often say, you know, tears, they say, are a car wash for the soul, especially those kind of tears. Um, when tears are produced by severe stress, anxiety, or fear, or overwhelming sense of grief and loss, studies have proven this. Those tears actually contain, as they're released from the body, there's actually toxins in the body that are being released through those tears that aren't present in other kinds of tears that your eyes produce. This is very different that when you, when you tear up or cry in the midst of grief or pain or struggle, there's actually toxins being released from your body. And that explains, if you've ever found this, that when you have a good cry, that you feel better afterwards? Well, there's science behind this. There's a reason. Because God has given us a capacity to cry, to release those toxins that build up in our body in times of severe pain. You might be saying, yeah, but I, 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 enough of that. I'm tired of that. I, I do cry way too much because I'm overwhelmed by so much. Maybe you can relate to the psalmist. There's a great passage in God's word, Psalm 6, verse 6, where the psalmist cries out. He says, I'm worn out from my groaning. For all night long, I flood my bed with weeping and drench my couch with tears. Maybe you come to worship today and you can relate to that far too well. And maybe for you it's a stressful situation, maybe it's a painful situation, but as we're focused today on loss and grief, maybe for you it truly is, it hits home when we talk about losing a loved one. Because this maybe has been a long year for you because of all the firsts you've been encountering. You always talk about the firsts that happen after a loved one dies, that first birthday, that first anniversary, that first Christmas or Thanksgiving or 
other holiday that maybe has so many memories and, and, and the tears, they flood us. Or maybe it's those tears that flood when you, you go to the phone because something happened like, oh, I've got to call my dad. And, and that realization, dad's not there to call. Or my mom or a brother or a sister or a son or a daughter. You know? And the tears, they flow. You say, I'm, I'm worn out from all my tears. And my prayer today is maybe God gives us some promises in the midst of this. In that scripture where Paul writes, you know, we grieve not as those who know no hope, but as those who know Jesus died and rose again. doesn't say we don't grieve, but we grieve in a different way. We grieve knowing there's an end to this because of the sure and certain promise found in our Savior. I think the psalmist also alludes to this. And let's look at this next verse. Psalm 126, verse 5. Why don't you read this with me? Those who sow with tears will reap with songs of joy. Isn't that a great verse? A promise there from our, our amazing God who tells us that though in this world we will face times of sorrow and difficulty, times of tears, there's a time of joy coming, a time of singing. You know, one day Jesus uh, had delayed in going to see a good friend of his named Lazarus. You maybe know this this account very well. It's from John chapter 11, and, and, and it often is, is, is told in the context of tears because it is often called the shortest verse in the Bible that comes out in the context of John 11. And I'll just put it up there. It's, it's John 11:35. How many of you wish this was your confirmation verse, right? You know, how many of you had it as your confirmation verse? Anybody? <laughs> um, you know, the, Jesus wept. And in the context here, often we point this out, well, here was Jesus grieving for the loss of his friend Lazarus at his tomb. And, and that was the context. He was at Lazarus' tomb. But I've been, always, I've been persuaded, the more you spend time in that text in John 11, and we don't have a lot of time to do that today, but I encourage you to read this. The context here is Jesus delays in going to his, his friend who was very ill. He had word of that. When he finally arrives in Bethany outside of Jerusalem, he's met by both Mary and Martha, who both come out and say the exact same thing. And they, they call out like, Jesus, if you had been here, our brother wouldn't have died. And, and see, Jesus delayed in coming. The funeral had already happened. Um, Lazarus' body had already been laid in the ground in the tomb. And in fact, we even have Martha saying, as Jesus approaches the tomb, saying he's, he's going to do something. Martha says, no, no, no. He, his body's been in the ground four days. And in, in, in King James Version, it says, and his body stinketh. Always love that context. Very real, very raw. But in context of what Jesus is about to do, it, it lifts our spirit. Because here Jesus is, the sisters are saying, if you'd been here, a brother wouldn't have died. And in essence saying, Lord, if you really cared about us, you wouldn't allow this to happen. How many times have you been there? Well, you call it to God and say, if you really loved me, if you really cared about us, how could you let this happen to us? Why did you allow cancer to enter the picture? How in the world could that diagnosis show up? I mean, come on. We had so many years ahead to enjoy. We had it all planned out. This is going to be amazing. And God, how could you let that happen? And with that, Jesus approaches the tomb in the midst of all of these doubts and grief. And it says that as he approaches the tomb of his friend Lazarus, that Jesus, Jesus wept. And the thing is here, though, is... 
Often we bring this out as here's Jesus being compassionate at the loss of his friend. I don't think that's where his compassion lies because he knows where Lazarus is. He's very well aware of that. And he also knows what he's just about to do. It seems very clear Jesus' grief and overwhelming sorrow is for those around him. And given context, it's very clear his grief is based on the fact they don't get it. They don't get the big picture of what God has in store and what he has planned. And with that, he calls out, Lazarus, come out! And the dead man rose up. I was still sorry for Lazarus, poor guy. <laughs> he was rejoicing and celebrating eternal life in heaven, and Jesus calls him back into this broken, fallen world. Can you imagine that? What a bad day. <laughs> And, and you know that, that whole thought, you know, that just I'll speak to this. A lot of times we might say it brings comfort to say, my loved one's looking down on me. Let me ask you, when you go to heaven one day, do you really want to look down and see what's continuing to go on down here? Does that bring comfort to us in heaven? I don't think so. <laughs> you know, the thought is, and, and we don't know, we're going to find out one day, we're going to see a glimpse of heaven, but there doesn't seem to be a picture that they're looking down on us. There isn't. And I get it, the memory thought of they're with us. Of course they're with us. We, we, we continue to carry their, them. They've poured their lives into us. We love them and they've loved us. That continues to go with us. But the thought that heaven is a place where we look down on this broken, fallen, evil, sinful world, I don't think that is comforting. God has something better in store. And we're going to see a glimpse of that. In the plan that he has not to just resurrect our bodies for a little while, because here's the deal with Lazarus. He had to die again. I'm, unfortunately. But God had a bigger plan for him that would include being in heaven forever. Now, what's that look like? To experience the true joy that dries up every tear, or as we're going to find out in Revelation chapter 7, verse 17b, and God will, what? Wipe away every tear from their eyes. How do we come to that place of experiencing the tears being dried up. And what that assumes then, let's get to the science of it, is there's nothing built up toxins in our body of sorrow, grief, and setback, and pain, and struggle that would require those tears to be released because it's gone. What sets us free from that? And that's where we turn to God's Word today. We read it in, in Revelation chapter 7, and in this incredible glimpse of what heaven is like, God opens John's eyes to see this vision, and, and this vision called the book of Revelation is incredible, and, and a lot of it's sometimes scary because we're like, what is going on? But we get to this beautiful moment in chapter 7 where his eyes are opened to what it says is, after this I looked before me, and it was a great multitude that no one could count from every tribe, nation, people, and language standing before the throne and in front of the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands, and they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God. Who are these people? Multitudes that no one could count. Thinking back when God reveals to Abraham that you know, his descendants would be as numerous as the, the sand in the seashore, the stars in the sky, more numerous than could be counted. These spiritual descendants of those who one day would stand in the presence of the throne room of God, celebrating in joy. Who are they? Well, to help us learn a little more about this, we're going to study this from a, an acronym standpoint. Tears. A God who's going to wipe away every tear. The tears from our eyes. 
and a God who tells us who these who stand in his throne room truly are. It starts off with T. was going to stand for this because we learn it in, in a verse that comes up here. You can read it in verse 14. He says, when he asks, like, who are these? And he says, sir, you know. These are they who have come out of the great tribulation. There it is. The great tribulation. They've washed the robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. The great tribulation. You know, the, this reference, this word ties in when Jesus says, in this world you will face tribulation or you will face trouble, but take heart, I've overcome the world. You know, we've been desensitized to this more and more in our culture to think that in this world the goal is to experience ultimate comfort. And we run from, you know, from uncomfortable circumstances. We run from discomfort, from pain. Uh, at all costs, we, we run from it. We have products to relieve it. And, and, and that's just become our mindset is that the goal of life here is to be pain-free, suffering-free, trouble-free. And the reality is that's not true. It's impossible in this world. Maybe you've been paying attention to this out in, um, in Oregon. There is a, a young lady by the name of Brittany Maynard, I believe is her name. And, and she's been kind of hitting social media by storm, and she's a young girl in her 20s, married, and she has a brain tumor, and she's dying. And she has gone public. She moved from California to Oregon uh, because in Oregon, uh, you can end your life on your own terms, as they're saying. They're calling it death with dig dignity. Dig dignity is death with dignity is what they're calling it. And, and basically, she can go and, and to her doctor who prescribed some drugs that she will end her life. And she was going to end it on November 1st. That was her plan uh, yesterday. Um, she changed her mind. She's decided to hang in there a little longer and, and uh, on her own terms, uh, stay, stay alive. And, and this is, I mean, there's, there's so much response going on in the internet. Even on our synodical webpage, there's an article about this. I encourage you to go and research this a little more because it's easy in our culture to say, oh, yeah, that makes total sense. You know, death with dignity, of course, on your own terms, end your life. Because you're going to die anyway. And the problem here is we've gotten to this point where we say, okay, we just avoid suffering at all costs, forgetting that even in the midst of tribulation and suffering, God is doing something amazing in our lives, opening our hearts to realize there's something greater than what we see here. As God has put eternity into the hearts of his people, as Ecclesiastes declares, it's a longing for something more. And, and before we're, we're quickly say, well, she doesn't have a clue. Well, yes, I would agree with that. I don't think she does have a clue. But I also, it's very clear, she doesn't have a relationship with God, a God who teaches us we have a purpose no matter what our circumstances. And that's the gift we have here today, is to realize even in tribulation, God has a purpose for those he's loved and those who he's called, no matter how difficult it is, even through suffering. And if you've gone through the suffering and death of a loved one, you say, this is just so hard. Yes, it is. But in the face of it, God teaches us something that is so amazing that we can't learn by avoiding it. But a God who invites us to stare into that pain and that longing for something more and a God who gives us an answer that surpasses anything we could ever imagine here on this earth. God who prepares us for what is ahead. That's where we get to exaltation in the presence of God. You know, you see this in, as John has this vision in heaven. You know, there they are calling out to Almighty God, those that are gathered around and, and shouting out, Amen, praise and glory and wisdom and thanks 
and honor and power and strength be to our God forever and ever. Amen. You know, here they are gathered, shouting out exaltation to a God who has persevered, the one who has taken his place at the throne. Um, you know, theologians, they talk about, in terms of the life of Jesus, first of all, they talk about the states of humiliation, where, uh, which starts with his conception of this world all the way through his birth, all the way through uh, his humbling himself on a cross and dying for us, those states of, of humiliation in the life of Jesus. But then begins what are known as the states of exaltation that begin with his descent into hell where he proclaims victory uh, over those who, who in hell and uh, victory in Christ that he's proclaimed by overcoming death all the way through his ascent and, and resurrection and, and ascent into heaven that continues that victory and celebration into eternity while he takes his seat at the right hand of God. Exaltation of our Savior Jesus who has conquered death once and for all through his perfection, through his love, through his grace. He went that way for us to take this place of honor. And here he is at the center of heaven with those multitudes gathered around along with the elders and the angels singing praises of amen. It's this amazing picture of a God who has conquered. It's part of when we see that vision where we're waving palm branches with white robes. Well, what's the white robe thing all about? Well, they, they've been washed in the blood of the Lamb. They are set free from their sin, from their doubts, from their fears, from the, just the, the tribulations of life. And that waving of palm branches is a signal of victory. In ancient cultures, that's what they do. They cut these branches down and they wave them in times of victory and great joy because the victory belongs to our God. And they have reason to celebrate because that which held them back, which broke them, was now over, overwhelmingly done away with. They're in his presence, the one who lives victoriously. Would make sense then, it's no wonder. Adoration is the response. They adore God with their, their voices. So they, they call out to him and, and, and they, they, they give him thanks. You know, even there earlier it says, you know, holy, 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 in verse 4. It, you know, is the Lord God Almighty who, is, who was and is and is to come. You're worthy, the, the saints cry out. They adore the one who laid down his life for, him, for them. The lamb who is slain, who gives victory for all eternity. This is more than just a nice thought. If you just kind of went through that cliche, well, they're in a better place. Folks, they are in a better place because God has given victory. It's not just a nice well wish. It is true. It's real. They are alive in adoration in the presence of Almighty God, the Lamb who was slain because of restoration. That's our next word here. Listen to these things. What does God give us there? Is there, there before the throne of God? He who sits on the throne will spread his tent over them, that tent of protection. And then it says, never again will they hunger. Never again will they thirst. Never again will 6,200 children under the age of five die every day in the world. Because God has brought restoration. The sun will not beat upon them, nor any scorching heat. The lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them to springs of living water. The one who said, I am 
the living water. I come to bring that. And that's faith that flows through the calling over our lives as baptized children of God, set free for this eternal reality. And a promise that God would wipe away every tear from their eyes, the salvation that is ours. That's the last one. Because once and for all, it's done away with. Salvation belongs to our God, they call out. And just like Jesus called Lazarus back alive that day and Jesus ruined that funeral, he's here today to remind us that our loved one that passed away, though their soul is in heaven today and celebrating the realities of Christ, that day comes when Jesus comes back in glory and our bodies rise again victoriously, regained with our souls to celebrate a new heaven and a new earth, one that will never, ever end, spoil or fade. We come as his people, his saints today, in that sure and certain hope of a God who will wipe away every tear. And that is good news. Let's pray. Lord, we do face tribulation here. We face loss. And often our tears, they are filled with toxins, Lord, that build up in our broken lives. But you are a God who comes among us today to show and open up that vision of heaven, to know that, Lord, those loved ones that we care about so deeply, we will see them again. And, Lord, that will be our story, too, as you continue to renew us in that incredible faith and calling as baptized children of God. And that is what we are as you lavish your love, as you make it clear, and eyes that are set on eternity in the midst of brokenness here, we know something that goes beyond all of that. And we thank you for that vision, and we thank you for that gift that wipes away every tear. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.